that we are in called Six Ships. And uh, it'd be cool to have one of those ships, right, from the video, like here. And uh, I always think, like, what, you know, what are some other things that would be fun to do? Uh, but we don't. And uh, we kind of live a little ways from the ocean. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, but it's a ways to get to uh, a bigger body of water. We have, uh, the, you know, the Great Lakes and all this stuff, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but we are in this series called Six Ships. And um, before I get into the message and too deep into this, uh, I just want to say Happy Father's Day to all of you, and especially to you fathers. Uh, this is one of those days, it's special, and, and looking forward to that myself uh, as a dad. But we're glad that you're here, and we're glad that you uh, agreed and joined us uh, to spend some time with us on this Father's Day. Uh, we also want you to know, those of you who are here for the first time, we've got several of you who are just checking us out for the very first time. You've never been here before. Uh, now you kind of know how we roll. But we also want you to know that this is a safe place for you to be, no matter where you're at with God. And, and we mean that. You could be uh, where you've been walking with God for a long time. And this is normal. This is what you do on a Sunday. A relationship with God is, is something that you're used to. And uh, that's awesome. Or maybe you're here and maybe you've just given your life to Jesus or maybe just kind of starting to discover the Bible and, and what it means. And so this is kind of a new thing, but you're excited about it. Or maybe you're here and I know that we have quite a few at Northridge that this is the case. And, and so maybe this is you that you're not sure where you're at with God. Uh, you would just honestly say, I, I don't know what I think about God. I don't know what I believe about God. So wherever you're at on that spectrum, all the way from one end to the other, this is a safe place for you to ask honest, real, the hard questions about who God is and, and what the Bible means. Uh, because we will do our best to answer that. And when we don't know, because there's going to be plenty of those times, because we're learning along with you, uh, we'll just say, we don't know. Let's work together to find that out. Let's work on this together. So we are in this series called Six Ships, and very simply what we are doing is we are taking a look at six different stories out of God's Word, out of the Bible, that uh, have something to do in some way, shape, or form with a boat or a ship or a floating device. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of things in the Bible that float, and we're going to take all of those things. And so uh, last week we talked about a story where Jesus was preaching on the uh, shore of a lake, and because there were so many people pressing in on him, he had to find a place to kind of escape. And so he hops into one of the fishing boats, pushes it away from shore a few feet, and begins to preach to the people from this boat. Okay? Well, this week is very similar in that it's actually the, the same kind of start. Jesus is on the shore of a lake. Um, and, and he's preaching to the people, and there's so many people that gather. Jesus must have been a pretty good preacher, right? Because tons of people pressed in on him, right? And he's Jesus. I, I mean, if God is preaching, we're, we should be there, right? And so Jesus is preaching, and people just crowd in. They want to hear what he has to say because he's just so intriguing. And so they, they all gather in, and so all of a sudden Jesus is like, man, I can't even see anybody. They can't hear me. And so he has to hop in a boat again, and he pushes out into the lake. But this is a totally different time. This is actually quite a ways in the future. He already has all his disciples. All 12 disciples are around him. And so he's preaching again, but this time he gets into a boat, and he's sitting in a boat, and he's preaching there. So what I want to do today is we're not going to focus on the boat part so much this week like we did last week. This week we're going to focus on what Jesus says from the boat. We're going to look at his sermon. 
Specifically, we're going to look at three things that Jesus says in his sermon. Jesus is really good. He has great points. I understand that. That's good. You have to have points. And Jesus had some points, and he uses stories to illustrate his points, also because Jesus is amazing that way. And so I want to look at three different parts, three different stories or illustrations that Jesus uses to demonstrate what you and I need to know about God. Specifically, he's talking about the kingdom of God, which is telling us about how God operates and who he is. So I want to jump into the first one. It's in in Mark chapter 4. You guys have it on your handout there. You kind of know what references we're going to use. But we're going to start in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus tells a quick story in the midst of this sermon. Again, remember, he's preaching this to, we don't know, hundreds, maybe even a couple thousand people. There's a lot of people that are on the shore of this lake. That's why he had to get in the boat. So this is one of the stories that he shares in order to explain the kingdom of God. He starts with a question, then he's going to explain it. Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? Understand, he already knows, but he's asking the question for the sake of the people. So they know what he's going to answer. Then he answers it. It is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make nests in its shade. So Jesus stops there. This is a very strange thing because I don't know about you, but he says, okay, what is the kingdom of God like? Or in other words, what is God like? What is his character? How can we know who God is and what kind of being he is? Jesus is trying to describe God to a huge group of people. And how Jesus uses to describe God and the kingdom of God is he starts by saying, okay, well, we need to think of a mustard seed. Well, that's a strange start. Because I don't know about you, but when I say the name of God, we think mighty, huge, created the universe, breathes stars, throws lightning. I actually haven't seen that in God's word, by the way. But that's what we think, right? And so we think like God is this great, massive, big thing. And yet Jesus starts by describing God and his kingdom of a mustard seed. Now I have a picture of a mustard seed. Okay, let me just show you this. That's how big, that gives you perspective on how big a mustard seed is. It's tiny. It's, it's little. Like if I drop this on this carpet, look at the color of this carpet. It's gone right? I mean, mustard seed is gone. It's, it's gone, right? I mean, it's just tiny, tiny, tiny little thing. And so Jesus says, it, 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 we have to start with a mustard seed. And he says, but this mustard seed becomes a mustard plant, which actually becomes, and, and understand, like if you look at a mustard plant here in the United States, it's a little bit different. Okay, these things, they grow like, you know, several feet high and they bloom like these beautiful, bright yellow flowers, okay? But he's talking about a different kind of mustard plant. It's called the black mustard plant. And this is in the Eastern Mediterranean. It's a little bit different plant than what we know it to be. This plant actually grows into a fairly large bush. In fact, if you look at some of them, they grow beyond 10, maybe 12 feet in height. And so they look like a small tree. It's a, it's a pretty big plant, especially based on the size of that seed. And so the question that I have is, what is Jesus talking about? What what is God talking about? What is he trying to say to us when he's saying that God is like a mustard seed that grows into this great plant? 
gospel, what he's saying to you and I is that God is always working, but a lot of times when God works, he starts very, very small. He starts really, really small, almost hidden, almost in a way that you're not going to notice that God is doing something. It's so small. For example, think about how Jesus himself arrived on earth. Jesus is using this story, right? And he says, God's kingdom is like a mustard seed. And Jesus knows, I know, because I started this way. How did Jesus arrive on earth? He arrived as a little baby. Without fanfare, by the way. Where was he born? He was born in a place where it was reserved for animals, right? He wasn't born into a luxurious hotel. He wasn't born in, in the midst of this great family and everybody's gathered around him. No, he was born at night in a, in, in a place where animals were living, right? And, and, and Jesus is born and the first thing he maybe heard was, you know, the donkey. Oh yeah, oh, this is great, great arrival, right? And there's Joseph and there's Mary and that's it. And then who does God choose to announce the birth of the savior of the world? Like this is a big deal. Who does he choose? He goes, he decides, you know what? Let's do this in the middle of the night when everybody else is sleeping. And we're going to send some angels. And we're going to do it kind of in a cool, powerful way. We're going to scare them. <laughs> Watch this. I'm sure God is, I don't know, but God's like, hey, angels, check this out. Watch this. It's going to be awesome. Boom. Ah, you know, like they freak out because they're just, it's just a small group of shepherds playing euchre, right? Watching the sheep. You know, hey. You know, lay back down. Whatever. And they're there, and God, like, announces it to this small group of shepherds. Nobody else. Nobody else gets the, the notification. Nobody else gets the tweet. Right? He just, just to a small group of shepherds, he says, oh, yeah, we should probably go see Jesus. And then he announces it to, like, these handful of wise men that are hundreds or thousands of miles away. It's going to take them maybe a few months, if not a year or two, to get to see Jesus. That's it. Like God didn't prepare the media blast, right? We're going to announce it on CNN and Fox and Twitter and Facebook. Oh, Facebook. Oh, everybody uses Instagram now, Snapchat. Like, We've got to get this out there. Nope. God says, we'll announce it to a few shepherds, these random guys out in a far country. Yeah, I think that'll do it. It's totally not the big like... Jesus has arrived. Let's throw the red carpet. Let's at the limo. Nope. No fanfare at all, really. Jesus just arrives quietly. And he grows up under the father, Joseph, the earthly father that he was given, a carpenter. Right? And then all of a sudden, Jesus just starts his ministry. Mustard seed. And God said, I'm going to change the world with this little baby. And he did. And think about Jesus himself when he grows up and he starts his ministry. How did Jesus change the world? Did he start speaking, right, to thousands of people? No, that's not how he started. You know how he started? We talked about it last week. He started by gathering 12 people, didn't he? He spent most of his time, most of his energy, most of his teaching, most of everything. In fact, did you know that a lot of what you read in God's word, when you hear Jesus's words, a lot of those were to thousands of people. So yes, he spoke to thousands of people. But there, a lot of the time, if not maybe even most of the time, 
Those red words, those red letters in your Bible that are Jesus' words, those are spoken to 12 people, his disciples. Talk about the Last Supper. There's like several chapters. All of that was spoken to 12 disciples. Jesus started small. And he said, with these 12 people, I'm gonna change the world. And guess what? Where are you at right now on Sunday? You're here worshiping Jesus. Jesus changed the world. And he did it with a small group of 12 people. Yeah, there were some other things. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. But he had these 12 people share that, didn't he? And so it starts with a mustard seed. And I think Jesus wanted to get to the people and to you and I that we have to understand that sometimes God doesn't come in and just, boom, here I am, I am God, and things are going to be great. Instead, most of the time, God starts with a seed. And he says, watch what I can do with very, very, very small things. We can multiply this. And that's a word that you're going to hear a lot is the word multiply. Now, the question I have is, for example, Jesus and the 12 disciples, why were 12 people able to change the world? Have you ever wondered that? What made it possible for 12 people to literally spread Christianity to the wide ends of the earth to where it still not only is alive and well, but is massively growing to this day? How did that work? Why did that work? Well, there's a lot of answers to that. We could spend the rest of the day here, but I don't know about you, but on Father's Day, I like to eat, so we're not going to do the rest of the day here. All right? But let me give you one of the answers. This is only one of probably a ton. Okay? One of the answers that the disciples had such success in spreading the good news of Jesus was because Jesus gave them a story worth telling. Amen? They had a story worth telling. So let me give you an example of this. Uh, four summers ago, summer of 2015, my dad got a couple of tickets to go to the PGA Championship that was being played here in Wisconsin at Whistling Straits. Some of you maybe have been to that course. Unbelie- I'd never been there. Unbelievably beautiful course. So he gets these two tickets. He says, hey, I want us to go to the PGA Championship. I'm like, really? Uh, yes. <laughs> I've never been, I had never been and never have since been to a professional golf tournament. And, and I'd always wanted to go because I thought, eh, I, I didn't know if I would like it. It was amazing. And so we get to Whistling Straits early in the morning. We park our car in this huge field. And, and then you have to walk literally about a mile just to get to the actual golf course. Because we're talking, I don't know if you, I didn't realize this. I had to look this number up. But they expected at that, that year, and I don't know what the numbers ended up being, but they expected 200,000 people to hit the course that year for over four days. 200,000 people. That's like most of Madison going onto a golf course at the same same time. Like, just ridiculous. Now, not all 200,000 were there every single day, but we were there on Friday. And so we get there, and we're walking around. And let me just tell you that the day was incredible. I mean, it really was one of the best days of my life. We walked around, and and this particular tournament, the PGA Championship, it was one of four major tournaments. And so all of the best golfers on the planet came to Wisconsin for that tournament. And so I got to see people that play golf a little bit differently than I do. I'll put it that way. Okay, a lot differently than I do. They can actually hit the ball. And it actually goes generally where they hit it. I didn't even know it could do that, right? 
my ball finds trees and tall grass and water very well, right? And they, they just don't. Except for this one guy, there's one guy that was there, John Daly. Some of you know who I'm talking about. He's a character. That was the day, I don't know if you remember this, but four years ago, that was the day where he is on the shore of Lake Michigan hitting on a par three, and three times in a row, he shanks it and hits it into Lake Michigan, three times in a row. Professional golfer. After the third time he hit it into the water, after the third time, he didn't show his frustration until he starts just walking like this. And then all of a sudden he turns and he chucks the club out into the middle of Lake Michigan. I was right up the hill from that when he did that. I was like, yeah, that was awesome. So needs to control his temper. I'm a pastor, but still that was awesome, right? And then get to watch it on ESPN that night again. I was like, yeah, I was there. I I saw that. And everybody cheered, you know, and then somebody in the boat came and picked up a club out of the water. And they're like, yeah, I got John Daly's club. A little bit later, we're watching some of the top golfers right next to a tee box. You know, they have the rope there. And Aaron Rodgers, they let Aaron Rodgers walk in right next to us. I, I re- literally, I was this close. I could lean over. I would have had to lean a little bit and tap him on the shoulder. I decided not to because I thought I'd get tackled probably. <laughs> or he'd turn around and deck me. You know, I don't know. But I was like, man, I just want to touch him on the shoulder and be like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers. And like do what everybody does. Do the cool nod thing. And like, Aaron, Yeah like we know each other. <laughs> that was awesome. And then, and then the icing on the cake, and th- this, this is going to sound weird, but, but this, is, this was a crazy end to the day. So at the end of the day, we're sitting at the last green, and all the top golfers are coming through, and we actually got a seat in the grandstands at this time. They got there early enough. And so we're sitting there, because we traipsed around all day. And uh, by the end of the day, we see these clouds rolling in. And I look at the radar, and it's one of those storms that you do not want to even... Like, you're going to stay away from stuff in your house during these kind of storms. That's what's coming in. And so my dad and I realized, you know, we're like a mile or a mile and a half from our car. We don't have anywhere else to go, and so we should probably head out now. And some other people are starting that you can kind of sense the tension around it. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's like, eh, what do we do? So we decide, yeah, we should probably leave. And so we get up and we start walking through the grounds and we're, we're just getting on the other side of the golf course and, and headed out. And we're about a mile from our car and all of a sudden the sirens go off, which tells you, you need to find shelter now. Like you've got 10 minutes. I can't remember what the, the standard was, but I mean, the, they, the PGA officials, all the golfers, fans, you got to get inside. And so, and we're still a mile from the car. So the only thing we can do, and this is what just about everybody on the course did, is they put up this huge white 36,000 square foot merchandise tent just for this event. I mean, it's huge, and it's, but it's just a tent, right? And they hang lights from the top, and it looks like a store inside. And so we all cram in there, and so the other, like, I, I kid you not, there's probably 3,000 people in this tent or more. Right? We're just crammed in there. And so we're like, well, we might as well shop while we're here, right? And so we're running around, and everybody else is running around, but we're kind of nervous because the tent is kind of doing this. In fact, to prove this, I took a video inside the tent when the storm hit. And let me just tell you, it was crazy. You want to see the video? Okay. Yeah, I, I figured you. It's Father's Day. Like, why do you not want to? Right? So here's just a few seconds, and I want you to take notice of the lights that are hanging from the top of this tent as this storm is going on. Here you go.
That was crazy. I mean, and, and that was not the worst part, the worst time. Like I got like where it was actually a little bit calmer. There were a, there were a few screams. I'll let you know inside the tent because there was a few times that those 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 things and and when we, and I didn't show that was going the other direction. But if you go out the tent the other way, when we walked out, the entire side at the top had been ripped off. When we left, some of the towers that they put up for the TV stuff had fallen, had been completely dropped over. And we're talking like scaffolding that goes up 20, 30 feet were, were gone. They had been toppled and just crushed. And so, I mean, uh, there was a tree that fell in a car in the parking lot where we went. It's just crazy. So here's why I tell all that. Now, I just kind of enjoy the story, right? <laughs> what do you think I did in the weeks and the months after that whenever I'd run into anybody that I knew? What do you think I did? I did what I just did to you. I told the story. I was excited about it. I loved it. It was one of my best days. That is how Jesus wants us to take and how God wants us to take the story of Jesus and his salvation and the love that he's given to us. He wants us to realize that it's the best thing that we've ever been given. The best thing. And he wants us to take it and he wants us to share it and he wants us to be excited about it and he wants us to, to make sure that other people know how much Jesus means to us. It's a story worth sharing. And God wants to take our story with Jesus because each one of our stories are different, aren't they? They're unique, that's awesome. And God wants to take that little mustard seed, our little story, and he wants to grow it and he wants to multiply it and he wants to expand it to help those around us. But the key is that we have to share it. We have to tell it. So this is what God, what Jesus is talking about when he says about the mustard seed and it grows into this biggest of plants. But then we have to take it one step further. Jesus tells another little quick illustration, little story. I want to share this from Luke chapter 13. Jesus continues again. This is the same sermon. He's just going on. He says this. Jesus also asked... What else is the kingdom of God like? He's trying to, again, he knows the answer. He's just asking the question so people know what he's answering. And he says, it is like the yeast a woman put, used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So you and I, we don't get three measures. Like we don't know what that is. But, but we know what the Greek word is, and we know how much that was. And if you multiply it by three, this was a huge amount of dough. This would have fed, this bread would have fed about 100 people based on the amount that Jesus talks about here. So what he's saying is, you put in just a little bit of yeast into that dough, and then that yeast expands and works itself all the way through the dough, and eventually you have this awesome bread. And the point that Jesus is trying to make is very simple. It is that your faith, my faith, our relationship with Jesus should permeate every aspect of our lives. Now, in the United States, in America, here, we have done our best to call things sacred and secular. We talk about the separation of church and state as if we can do that. I don't know about you, but God is omnipresent he is everywhere. And so we cannot legislate God out of a courthouse or out of a school or out of your marriage or out of your friendships 
or out of your weekend activities. God is everywhere. And Jesus is saying that God wants to permeate every aspect of our lives. He wants to permeate our thoughts. He wants to permeate our heart. He wants to invade into our space, into our relationships, into our decisions, into our actions, into every aspect of our being. He wants to invade our space. And God wants us to realize that he wants to give us and multiply us. Just like this yeast, you put that yeast in and it expands. You know what God wants to do with his power in your life? He wants to expand it. You know what he wants to do with the peace that he could give to you? Have you ever experienced God's peace? Even on a small scale? You know what he wants to do with that peace? When you have felt that presence and that, that peace from God? Some of us maybe in here have never experienced that. Let me just tell you, it's the, it's the greatest thing in the world. I mean, it is the, I, I cannot, I honestly cannot put into words. I, I really, I'm, I'm at a loss right now for words for it. And what God wants to do is he wants to take that little bit of peace and he wants to expand it and multiply it in your life. He wants to expand his love in your life, his direction in your life. But the only way that happens is for us to realize that we need to open ourselves. In fact, that brings me to the last story that Jesus tells. It's the key to the whole thing. It's the key to us being multiplied in our power and our presence and our influence. If you guys want to have godly influence, I'm about to tell you the key to that. All right? And Jesus, actually, I'm not. Jesus is. <laughs> I just get to read it. Let me, re let me read to you the story that Jesus tells in this sermon. He starts by saying, it's Matthew chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus says, listen. <laughs> by the way, when Jesus says, listen, it's a good idea. Let me just give you advice. You should probably listen. It's Jesus. Listen, he says. A farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. <clears throat> the seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Isn't that interesting how Jesus finishes that? <laughs> he finishes the story, and he says, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. But here's the problem. <laughs> This is ironic that Jesus finishes this. In fact, this is, I think, why Jesus said this. Just a few verses later, we find out that the disciples, right in the middle of Jesus preaching, I don't know if Jesus like, you know, took a drink of water or took a pause or something, or if the disciples were just this bold and, and, and dumb. <laughs> but they interrupt Jesus right in the middle of the sermon. Right in the middle. And, and the disciples kind of pull Jesus aside, and they're like, uh, Jesus, so here, here's a question. Um, you know that story that you just told about the farm and the seed? Yeah, you said we need to hear it. We need to understand it. We don't understand it. <laughs> I mean, we know we're kind of your inner circle and we're supposed to get this stuff. We just didn't get it. So could you explain that to us? Well, thankfully, the disciples asked because then Jesus explained it and it's recorded. Let me explain. Let me read Jesus' explanation to this story. Listen to what he says, starting with verse 18. 
Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting the seeds. So this is Jesus explaining it. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. They accept it, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Let me tell you that the key to God's power being multiplied in your life has to do everything. The key to that is the soil. And you might be saying, awesome, so I need to find some dirt. What is the soil? The soil in this case, in this context, as Jesus is sharing it, is your soul. It's your soul. It's the real you. And what Jesus is saying is the key to all of God's power, all of God's love to permeate every aspect of your soul has to do with the soil in your life. Your soul. Your openness to God. And God gave us the understanding, the four different types of people. Jesus kind of puts us into categories, so to speak. It's not that he's labeling us, but he's saying everybody is in one of these four places. Some of us might be, honestly, if you, and, and, and I think that the question becomes that we have to answer here today, and we have to really honestly answer it, is what is the soil in you? What is the soil that you've cultivated in your life? Because honestly, some of us, we would have to admit, we're the footpath people. We're the ones that we hear God's word, and we don't understand it, and we don't seek to understand it. So understand that, that I don't know about you, but when you read God's word, there are a lot of things when I read in here, I go in here and, and I read it and I go, what? Do you ever do that? You ever read God's word or do you ever read, see, see a verse, like a verse of the day comes into your email or you see it on, you know, on, on, a, on a wall or something? We don't usually put the hard ones on the wall, by the way. Did you notice that? We put the, the you know, I will soar on wings like eagles. You know, we do that one. We don't put Jesus wept up there or something like that, Right? We put the easy stuff, but, but let's be honest. When we see that, I, I don't know about you, but I get into God's word and sometimes I'll be reading and be like, man, that is really hard. Like, what are we talking about here? And Jesus is not saying, well, like if you don't understand, pff, seed on a footpath, it's just going to be stolen by the evil one. No, what he's saying is, you don't understand, but are you seeking to understand? Understanding and seeking to understand right, are, are, are a couple of different, slightly different things. And so Jesus is saying, some of us are on the footpath. We don't care. We don't understand God, and we don't care if we understand God. That's what Jesus is talking about. And some of us, uh, if we were have to admit, we maybe are the seed on the rocky soil. 
We're the, we're the ones that maybe at one point, or maybe we're there now, where we've like, yeah, we're excited about Jesus. We're all in, right? And, and maybe there's this moment, and it was emotional, and we're like, yeah, give my life to Jesus, and this is amazing. And then, you know, a few weeks down the road, you're like, yeah, still pretty cool. A few months down the road, like, uh, I don't know. Sunday mornings are hard to get up or whatever. The Bible's, I can't understand. And, and, and fairly quickly, because the roots never started to grow deep, we never invested in the relationship with God. Then the storm comes, like the one I was talking about, the golf tournament, and it blows us over. And God is kind of a, in the rearview mirror, so to speak. Do you know anybody in your life who, where God is in the rearview mirror? Not really relevant. At one time, maybe was. That's the rocky soil. And then the other one that Jesus uses is the thorny soil. And to be honest, I would say that this is where a lot of times I am. I would say my soil is, if I were being honest. And I would say where a lot of people that I know are. And that is, we want Jesus to work in our life. We believe in God. We believe the Bible's important. We believe that, that Jesus is real. But when it comes down to it, I don't know about you, but have you ever noticed that this life is kind of busy? Have you noticed that? It's a little bit crazy. And I get consumed and I get worried about whether or not my kids have their lunch for school or whether or not they're doing the right things. Are we in the right sport or should they be in a different sport? Should we not be in sports anymore? Should they, you know, do they want to do music? And if they do music, which instrument are they going to play? Have you been there? And I worry about their future and I worry about, and I get lost in the weeds. Anybody else get lost in the weeds sometimes? And this is what Jesus says is there's so many people lost in the weeds and they forget that God is there willing to guide and direct them and pour his power into them. And then the last one that Jesus talks about, and maybe this is a lot of us in here, I hope it is, that we have fertile soil. That when God plants something, let's say he says, hey, I want you to go and offer forgiveness to that person that hurt you in your past. That's a seed. When you hear that, that's God knocking on your, your soul, on your heart. Don't ignore those things. Right? When God says, I want, you, I want you to go forgive that person, say, yeah, but that person hasn't apologized. Your forgiveness to them has nothing to do with it, whether or not they apologize, by the way. Okay? Forgiveness has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with you. And when God plants that seed, that, that fruit, what you do with it, if it hits fertile soil in your heart and you say, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, I don't want, but I'm going to do it. I'm, okay, I'm going to do it. And you go do that. Let me just tell you that God will exponentially increase that seed and you will see that, that hatred and all the other stuff go away and love and peace and all this other good stuff will start to grow in your life. God will multiply it but it needs to hit fertile soil. And that's up to you. Your openness to who God is and what he wants to do. The question is, are you going to allow God to multiply in your life and around your life? Well, the truth is, if you look around the United States, and I want to finish with this, 
We sometimes tend to get this idea that God is passe. Have you, do you have friends in your life? I do. I know I have friends in my life that think, yeah, but we've moved on. Like everybody knows that God was just a construct to help humans feel better. Have you heard that argument? I hear that all the time. I do. Maybe I'm just hanging around weird people. No, no, I'm just kidding. But no, I hear, I do, I hear this on a fairly regular basis. It's not weekly maybe, but I hear this fairly often. And, and so the truth is, I think a big part of that is you look around the United States and American Christianity, and we don't see that we're gaining ground and exploding like crazy. But the truth is, if I were to take you, I would like to do this sometimes. We, we should just put, book a trip for all of our church, like all several hundreds of us. And we're all going to book a plane and we're going to go somewhere. I would love just to do that. Wouldn't that be awesome? And I could take you to some places, some places in some, some of the countries in Africa, some of the places in Asia, especially China, by the way. You would not know this. But did you know that in parts of Africa and in parts of Asia, and especially China, that Christianity is going crazy. It is growing and flying exponentially. Did you know this? No, we don't know this because most of the people aren't going to report on it. Because they want to perpetuate the lie that Christianity is dying. Can I tell you that Christianity is not dying? But not only is not dying, it's alive and well. And not only that, it's multiplying rapidly. We've just decided that God is passe, and so he's moved on to fertile soil. You see? In fact, there was a, some, uh, like a symposium or a forum conducted at Rice University about a year and a half ago. And at this university, there were some professors. They were not necessarily all Christians by any means. They were sociology professors, religion professors, and they were there to talk about the growth of Christianity in other parts of the world. Not in the United States, but in other parts of the world. And, and I wanted to quote what one of the professors said about China. Now, they were, just happened to be talking about China at this moment in that forum. And I want to read what he says. He says, you can't evangelize or proselytize, said Emerson, a former Rice University sociology professor. And by the way, he says, when you can't evangelize or proselytize, China is an atheist nation. It's self-designated an atheist nation. It's not like some people are atheists. They've designated themselves as atheists. They said, we are atheists as a nation. We do not believe in God or any religious entity, spiritual identity. And so you cannot evangelize. Like what we're doing right now, we can't do this in China freely. Just show up and be like, yay, we're going to worship God and we're going to do it really loud, by the way. No, nope, they have to do this. And listen to what else he says. Some churches go underground. They have to. And sometimes literally underground. But what they mean is in secret. They have to meet in secret. And they have to evangelize in secret. The Chinese government can't control the growth of Christianity. This is spoken from just a sociology professor. Can I tell you why we know that China and no human, no government, no group can control the spread of Jesus and his love? You know why? Because God's DNA, his very character is to multiply himself. And the real question for you and I is very simple. Fathers, this is a good one on Father's Day. And I'm going to call you out. And I'm not saying just fathers because you need to be called out. This is for everybody. But fathers, I want to just call you out. What are you doing to expand the kingdom of God in your family, for your kids, 
with your spouse and those around you. Everybody, what are we doing to be on board? Because the truth is, God is going to expand. Like, that's, that's a no-brainer. It's happening. The question is for you and I, are we on board with what he's doing? Are we in the boat with him? All we have to do is join the boat. We don't have to know what we're doing. Are you kidding? He asked me to plant a church, guys. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> you don't have to know what you're doing. You have to be faithful to surrender to what God wants to do. And he will do, show you and do things that you've never thought possible in your life. I promise you he will. I can promise that because I, got, I know God promises that. I can do unimaginably more and greater things than you could ever imagine. That's what God says. Are you on board? What's the soil of your life? Let's pray.